Hey, Justin. Hey, Linda. What's up? Well, important question here. Did we ever figure out what kofefe meant? Uh, kofefe or kofefe or whatever it is? I don't think so. But if anything, it definitely shows that we witnessed a truly historic and WTF moment in American political history. But interestingly, back in December 2016, one event in Asia even managed to tear BuzzFeed's attention away from President Trump, although very briefly. And yes, I'm talking about the same BuzzFeed that President Trump singled out and called a failing pile of garbage. Ouch. Yeah. This event was the scandal surrounding the now former President Park in South Korea, which BuzzFeed called the weirdest scandal of 2016. Actually, come to think of it, there's been a lot of very big things going on across East Asia's political scene in recent years. So much that we've even prepared a three-part special all about political engagement. Stay tuned! Hi, I'm Justin. And I'm Linda. And you're listening to The, the Youth, Youth Element, Element, a podcast series on East Asia's millennials. Over the course of five weeks, we traveled to five cities in East Asia. Shanghai, Taipei, Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Seoul. To listen to the voices of millennials and learn more about contemporary East Asia through their views and the stories of their own lives. Stay with us on The Youth Element. Welcome to The Youth Element, a podcast series by the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada. You're currently listening to part one of a three-part special all about politics, and more specifically, political engagement among youth in East Asia. You know, when you graduate from high school, many of us continue on to university. You're kind of hit in the face by the real world. And this is when questions about the economy, society, and I guess life in general really begin to sneak up on us. And I don't know about the rest of you, but at least for me at the time, I was like, wait, does this mean I have to be an adult soon? How do you even adult? Ah, yes. Goodbye high school innocence, hello student loans, and all those other things like housing, job hunting, all that good stuff that we in North America are also very familiar with. And love to complain about. But across East Asia, these social and economic growing pains have turned into some tremendous student protests in recent years, and what's transpired is an unprecedented uptick in political engagement among youth across the region. Right, so in this three-part special, we'll be covering some of the most recent social movements and examples of political engagement that suggest a shift in the mindset of youth across the region. Many of our listeners have probably heard about one, or maybe even two of these political events in East Asia. But how do we piece them together to form a bigger picture? Well, to start, we'll contextualize all of the recent happenings by looking at how and why there has tended to be a negative connotation attached to the idea of student activism. So in part one of this series, we'll be using Japan as an initial case study to show how a prominent group of students really tried to reinvigorate the idea of political participation. Spoiler alert, they succeeded, but only for a moment. In parts two and three, we'll look at cases where students saw more success in shaking up the status quo and dispelling the image of the apolitical and apathetic generation. In part two, we'll focus on the Sunflower Movement in Taiwan and the Umbrella Movement in Hong Kong, where students advocated for change and entered directly into the political arena. And, to top it off, part three will look at student involvement in the recent impeachment of President Park Geun-hye in South Korea. As usual, if you hear anything you're interested in learning more about, we've included a whole list of resources along with this episode on the Asia-Pacific Foundation's website, www.asiapacific.ca. 
And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to tweet us at Youth Element. You know, Linda, what stood out to me on this trip was this idea of youth engagement with their societies. In some cases, youth were met with opposition, whether it's from their parents or the government, but it didn't stop them. It's hard not to generalize, but I think what is constant across recent movements in the region is the youth element. Yeah, no doubt we've heard about cases like the Umbrella Movement and the Park Impeachment here in Canada. And as we mentioned earlier, these cases have been featured in major news headlines. But when we think about student activism in East Asia, Japan hardly ever pops up on our radar. Yeah, unless you're someone who studies this field, Japan seems less likely to come up in these discussions, especially as millennials from neighboring places seem to be stealing the spotlight away. And there's a reason for that. So before we begin, let's flash back a few decades to contextualize for our listeners the region's history with social activism. When speaking of youth or student movements in Asia, I think the event that is most talked about in mainstream media or in basic history courses, is the 1989 Tiananmen incident in China. This was a heavily student-based affair that is still the subject of a lot of controversy within and outside of the country, and for the most part, it's portrayed pretty negatively today in Western media. So it's totally taboo to talk about in China, but it has definitely influenced the social movement and protest scene there today. All of our other cases have a strong history with student movements, and they have all in some way or another deeply influenced, or, as we will see, have tainted the political scene today. And memories of these episodes in history tend to be actively suppressed by their respective states. But it is in the historical suppression of these incidents that make their relation to today's protests so salient. And I'd say flashbacks of history has really helped cement the idea of the apolitical youth And this remains the case in Japan today. Japan in the 1960s was an especially turbulent period. The Anpo protest stood out as not only one of Japan's biggest student demonstrations, but was arguably one of the largest political movements in all of post-war Japan. Anpo is shorthand for a security treaty that then-Japanese Prime Minister Kishi signed with U.S. President Eisenhower. For days, hundreds and thousands of people marched into the streets of Japan to protest not only the contents of the treaty, but also the kind of sketchy and undemocratic way in which the treaty was rammed through by the ruling party. Some sources even claim that 10 million people signed a petition against the Anpo Treaty. So basically, this was a big deal. We were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to interview Dr. David Slater, a cultural anthropologist at Sofia University in Tokyo, who spoke to us about the way in which Japan's political scene today is colored by the Anpo protest. Give me a little bit of history. Activism, student activism especially, is a dirty word here in Japan. Um, from the 60s and 70s, we've had a whole wave of youth activism who were called the Ampo, uh, the, the youth who were protesting against the U.S. security treaties, um, same kind of security treaties that we're uh, negotiating now. But these were much more radical youth. They were connected usually to communist and socialist parties, very ideological in character, uh, violent sometimes. People died in protests. And after a big wave in the 60s and another big wave in the 70s, there was a general consensus that this, A, wasn't working, that it wasn't 
transforming society, but that it was actually maybe even hurting society. And these young people were being re-represented as dangerous, as selfish, antisocial people who were protesting for themselves rather than for the betterment of society, getting attention. And I don't think this is actually the case. I think there's a lot of there was a lot of very uh, sincere activists who were trying to transform Japanese society at a point where it was going through a lot of big changes post war, post occupation, looking ahead, how it renegotiates its relationship with America, which I guess everyone's still doing now. Right. So as we can see, there is still a negative connotation attached to this idea of protests and social movements in Japan. Of course, following the recent Tohoku earthquake in March 2011, also known as the 311 disaster, there is an increase in protests and activism surrounding nuclear and radiation issues, and these debates opened up especially on social media channels like Twitter. But aside from this, and as time passed on since 311, there has been much less activity amongst youth. In fact, there doesn't seem to be much space for young voices in politics at all in Japan. Yeah, a lot of the times, and this is the case with many protests in Japan, political or social movements are led by two extremes. One, those from the furthest ends of the political spectrum, so radical leftists or ultra-rightists. And two, I guess what you could call just regular mom groups. That is, groups of middle-aged or elder people who are just so normal. And indeed, they really emphasize and cling on to this notion of them just being regular citizens who are protesting for the regular things that concern their daily lives, like food safety. And by virtue of this emphasis on normalcy, there seems to be a very conscious move made that really separates the spheres of politics from the spheres of daily life. As in, politics is treated as something completely alien from the consideration of one's normal day-to-day realities and concerns. So when you have a divide, here's political and here's regular, of course everyone's going to want to be on the regular side, right? So there's a resistance even among those groups. Even in post-Fukushima, there's all these called mama no kai, mama groups all over Fukushima who are fighting for food safety and accuracy of, of radiation measurements and challenging the local governments to report this accurately and the national government, all of which are pretty political activities. They would be coming down and marching in Tokyo and they would say, no, I'm just a regular mama. So even after the, the 311 thing, you still had quite a bit of, somebody called it a political allergy, an allergy against politics among Japanese population. It's a dirty word everywhere. We found that this political allergy was also an epidemic in our other cases as well. But this has changed in recent years. Right. The perception towards politics and those engaged in social movements has undergone a fundamental shift in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and most recently in South Korea, where there has been a lot of youth participation. We'll discuss these cases in more in depth later on in parts two and three of this series. But this brought up the question of why it seems like Japanese youth are still relatively more apolitical. Well, the concept of the apathetic or apolitical millennial is not something we're totally unfamiliar with here. And considering what happened with Brexit, we now realize that the youth vote, or lack thereof, is actually pretty important. And even though we know what happened in the U.S. elections, there was at least a notable political figure like Bernie Sanders that stood up from the crowd and tried to rally up the so-called youth vote. But I don't think Japan has its Sanders yet. And even more, Japan's aging demographic seems to drown the youth voice out. That's right. Japan has one of the world's longest life expectancy rates, but also one of the lowest birth rates. Japanese youth are demographically underrepresented, with their parents and their grandparents outvoting them. 
Some even refer to this phenomenon as Japan's silver democracy. In fact, one of our interviewees expressed how the government is not catering enough to the younger demographic. Governments are not interested in young people, I think. They are not focusing on me because the voting rate is very high in elderly people. Young people don't really vote, so if they want to do what they want to do, they have to focus on elderly people, and then we feel more like we are out of the society, we are out of the talking, and we lose the interest. I guess with grandma and grandpa in charge, the younger voters probably feel a bit shafted. But the government has been trying to change this recently, right? I mean, they lowered the official voting age from 20 to 18 in 2015, trying to include younger voices into the political process. Yeah, but still, apparently the 18 and 19 year olds only accounted for 2.2 percent of Japan's total voting pool in 2016. I guess it's a tough battle when one in four people in Japan are over the age of 65. Okay, but that's still 2.4 million more voters. Surely, with a bit of motivation, that's still potentially a lot more votes. I actually remember reading an article about how the government even released a manga as a form of propaganda to reach out to youth. The story was about a schoolgirl who desired to vote in order to get her crush's attention. Okay, I can already list several things wrong with that, but let's leave the discussion over gender norms to another time. Anyways, clearly these top down initiatives are kind of problematic. So it looks like a more organic, bottom up source of motivation is needed to inject some hope into Japan's underrepresented millennials. Yes, and there actually was such a movement a few years back. It was a totally student led group that formed in 2015, and they set out with the very mission to make politics cool. They're called SEALTS, short for Students' Emergency Action for Liberal Democracy. SEALTS had a very clear and strong political mission to protect a free and democratic Japan, and they emphasized themes like peaceful diplomacy, ensuring social welfare, and vow to combat fascism. According to several Japanese scholars, The repeated usage of the term fascism, quote, retains much of the shock value in Japanese that it has in English, end quote. But in this context, it is used to highlight the possible consequence of political inaction among citizens. So SEALT set out to protect Japan's democracy by rallying for preserving the sanctity of the country's constitution and also by urging more young people simply to get out there and vote. So, for a little bit more background, in 2014, Japan's ruling coalition, led by Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and the Liberal Democratic Party, the LDP, was looking to pass a new security bill that would reinterpret Article 9 of the Japanese Constitution. Article 9 has been in place since the Second World War, and it basically outlaws war as a means for Japan to resolve international disputes. It's also the clause that prevents the country from having a military, aside from the Japanese self defense forces. So, the security bill that the LDP was looking to pass would essentially grant the self defense forces more power and allow Japan to deploy troops on foreign soil along the basis of collective self defense. Right. SEALS was a strong proponent against this, and they stood up for the popular but largely unspoken opinion that Article 9 and its tenets of peace and pacifism was a point of pride for Japan. And at the time, SEALS wanted to stand out as the antithesis to the violent student protests of the 60s and the 70s. So they were waging multiple battles, one of which was a direct political battle against the government's agenda, and another was an ideological and cultural war against the stereotype of the apolitical youngster, as well as the ingrained notion of the violent and extremist protester. 
These college students wanted precisely to create a platform where everyone could and should make their voices heard in political debates, and they wanted especially to reinvigorate their discussions amongst their peers. In fact, they actually managed to do this though through very innovative ways that helped pull the seemingly distant sphere of politics closer to reality, so to speak. For instance, they created very hip and trendy posters that could almost double as fashion campaigns or CD covers, and their political demonstrations were unconventional and super energetic. At political rallies, students emerged front and center in their cool and classic streetwear, chanting and rapping things like "Protect the Constitution," "Abe quit," and "Don't make war." To hip hop beats, we spoke with an anthropology student from Hitotsubashi University who had some further insights on the missing space that seals helped to fill in Japan's political landscape. What seals did actually was very simple thing. It's the revitalization of student movement in 1960s. That's why there are so many old people who are participating in the demonstration in the world. For young people, the right right wing people are doing. Their protest on the internet. The left wings are kind of despising that kind of internet protesting or internet political things, and but there, there no place to say their political issue out there. So that was a good opportunity to do some sort of、uh, movement for the left wing minded young people. But as political movement, there's nothing after seals crash. Another one of our interviewees, Aoi, actually told us that she felt a sense of relief when she first heard about Seals. Like Yuji, she felt that Seals filled a void in a sense, in that they stood in as a necessary youth or student voice in the political scene. I think I saw. Oh, there is a student who have interested in politics. I just reviewed the things. Yeah, our friends don't have interested in politics. And they don't know politics. In, of course, including me, I don't have so much interest in politics. It was so complicated. Yeah, they use difficult words, so it's difficult to imagine for me. So yeah, I know keeping interested in politics is important, and we have to think about because we will live in the future. I the. Organization. I just thought, believed、really, oh, there is a student who have interested in politics. Right. So as Aoi was saying, even though she and her friends don't personally follow what's going on in the political realm as much, she does realize its importance. She realizes how it's important for youth to be more engaged because, after all, it is their future on the line. So I guess for her, knowing that there was a young and vocal group like Seals that emerged onto the scene did give her a sense of relief. Seals was active for a bit over a year, and at their prime, they had nearly 400 core members. And their biggest rallies even managed to bring out 120,000 people. For a while, they genuinely became a fresh new face for political action in Japan, and they inspired young and old alike. However, despite everything, the security bill was passed anyways. Sound familiar? <laughs> Sounds like we're in the 1960s again. Thankfully, we're not. For Seals, not only did they manage to retain their image as cool kids, they also decided to forge ahead. They hooked up their mission to Japan's upper house elections in 2016, which would determine how much power the ruling party would hold in the legislature. They tried to rally up the youth vote and wanted to form a strong coalition of opposition parties against Abe's LDP. In addition to their rallies and campaigns, Seals also tried to set up voting booths for youth. 
targeting especially the 18 and 19 year olds who had become first time voters. But I guess the current against them was too strong, and Abe's party ended up winning by a landslide. Yeah, the LDP's victory spelled the end of Seals and their momentum. And indeed, Seals ended up disbanding one month after. Dr. Slater has some more thoughts on this. Any movement that links to a particular event, whether they win or whether they lose, it almost always spells the end of that movement, right? I mean, if you're just focused on passing of a particular set of regulations or something, even if you win, you've taken a little bit of the, the, the wind out of your sails. They lost. Abe won hugely, and he won the most among people the same age as SEALs. So Linda, I have a question for you. Do you think if the election had turned out differently, would SEALs have continued to exist? Uh, that's really hard to say, and I think there were other factors stacked against them too, some of which had to do with how SEALs branded themselves, who they were, and what other youth saw them as. SEALs was a media event, and people were excited in that kind of way, but it didn't generate an alternative source of critical cultural engagement. It didn't generate um, alternative cultures, because it wasn't supposed to. SEALs was a group from the middle, right? They're, they're defined almost by their consumption styles. Rich, I mean, rich-ish, going to private colleges. They weren't like frita movements. You know, they weren't like movements of people who are unemployed or on the margins. These kids, if they just kept their head down for, for another couple of years, they would slide into the, the last good jobs left in Japan. There was, there was no advantage for them. But, but that was also part of what they're saying. They're saying it's easy to be political when you've lost your job. It's easy to be political when you, you don't have enough money to live. But those movements never sustain themselves. So putting everything together, we can map out why SEALS was not a long-lasting movement, despite all of their energy. As Dr. Slater said, the main students involved in this were of a certain socioeconomic background, rich-ish, and going to private schools. I suppose, in the grander scheme of things, maybe because of this privilege, not all students could necessarily relate to SEALS, especially when most students around this age felt that they didn't even have a chance to compete for those last good jobs that Dr. Slater mentioned. And I guess that emphasis on normalcy worked like a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it was used to bring politics down to the level of the everyday, but on the other hand... Maybe their initial strategy of being in the middle, and being you know, middle class and, and in the middle of Tokyo, worked against them because they, were, they, they weren't out on the margin. You can say things from the margin that you can't say from the middle, right? And maybe that caught up with them. It's kind of poetic, really. The official date of formation for SEALs was May 3rd, which is also Japan's National Constitution Memorial Day. And the official date they disbanded was August 15th, 2016, Japan's 71st anniversary to mark the end of World War II, and a day for commemoration and celebration of peace. And you know what? Is it even fair to say that SEALs failed in their mission? I mean, in the shorter run, it does seem like they did, and in that the security bill was passed and Abe's party won, but maybe in the longer run, there is hope if not for SEALs, but for a new generation of youth engagement in politics. In fact, during our interview with Aoi, her friends Yuzuki and Mizuki, after hearing Aoi's more positive remarks about SEALs, immediately piped in to disagree. And this actually sparked quite a lively debate amongst them, which goes to show that they aren't at all, like they say, disinterested in politics. Clearly, they do have a lot to say. 
So for Yuzuki, she kind of speaks to what Dr. Slater was saying about how it was difficult to relate to Seals. To her, the type of activism that Seals tried to mobilize seemed distant from her own everyday life, and to her, it's not the most effective way to rally up the youth. I just had the right to vote from last year, so I just voted for once, but like the problem is there's a uh, those students like protesting and expressing their opinions, but many young people are not really interested in politics. Not many of my friends talk about politics, so I have like a few friends who I can really talk about that. Maybe like most of Japanese people see those kind of active people kind of different from themselves. And they are working, but we are not doing it. So it's a kind of different war, different community. So I don't, I don't think it's effective way to like encourage people to, mm-hmm. to join the politics. But I think like like me, keeping the interest on politics is very important. I think, and it, I. I try to keep talking with those kind of stuff with my friends and like exchange our opinions and think about my future. So what we can gather from Yuzuki, much like what Aoi said earlier, is that she understands the value of political awareness. But other methods for engagement are needed if we want to see some fire injected into the youth. And for that, she was slightly more skeptical of Seals. Mizuki, however, voiced some of the strongest opinions against Seals. Although she was in support of Seals' method of engagement by bringing a youth voice out to the public, she was opposed to what Seals were protesting. To Mizuki, she thinks that there is more to the Abe administration than just the negative, militaristic light that Seals emphasized. I saw the, their action in, on the TV. It's a good thing because young people said it, our opinion of my young people. Yes, opinion. but they only see the one aspect. They said that I don't. We won't. We don't want a war. Yeah, of course so we, yeah. we don't. Want <laughs> war. But why we have to have the army? Because a uh, long time ago and uh, finished the Pacific War. And Japan is uh, doing the bad things, so very strict from the America. So America protected Japan also. So, but now is America's power is very low, I think. So Japan have to having the our army or yeah. So right. So speaking to the current geopolitical context of rising tensions with North Korea, the uncertainties brought by the Trump administration, and even with just the overall rise of terrorism in the world, Mizuki does see some Mizuki does see merit in remilitarization. And I think her point boils down to this. Yes, it's good to have a voice from a group like SEALDS, but at the same time, the general public, and especially the youth, needs to try to actively engage with the political discourse more to see the bigger picture and form their own opinions. I guess at the end of all this, Seals may have disbanded as a group, but maybe their presence was enough to light a tiny spark. I mean, even in our very informal discussions with the three girls, we can see how the topic of Seals was able to spark such a lively conversation between them. Although we unfortunately can't squeeze in the entire conversation here, 
We did go on to talk about so much more about Japan's relations with China, the US, gun laws, and even ISIS. So perhaps the war waged against this political allergy has just begun. When we were in Japan in February, we came across a protest which opposed Japan's peacekeeping operations and the Minister of Defense, Tomomi Inada. The protesters were gathered outside of Japan's legislature, and we heard them chanting several phrases such as, Inada Inabe quit! The crowd was predominantly of an older generation, but there were a few young faces there as well. Actually, it was some of the former core members of SEALDS who were directly involved in organizing the protest that day. We got to speak briefly with one of them and she told us that when SEALS was just beginning to take off, they really looked towards the older generation of activists, like the ones present there, for advice on how to go about organizing. But at the same time, she told us how older activists have also learned from SEALS. The chants we heard that evening were actually the ones that SEALS created and used when they were in their prime. I mean, SEALS may have disbanded, but clearly their spirit still lives on in other ways. And maybe it's only a matter of time before their efforts germinate into a more concrete change be it ideological, institutional, or cultural. And maybe their legacy can set the stage for a fresh new youth element in Japan's political scene. And I guess it makes sense for SEALs to have disbanded anyways, if not for their cause, but at least for the members of the groups as individuals. For one, even if the side they were rooting for won during the upper house elections in 2016, what would be next? I mean, for all groups like this, what is the end goal? There's of course the option of forming a political party, or having members running for office. But there's a ton of hurdles along this path too, perhaps especially in the context of Japan today. And I think this again refers back to the political allergy that we were talking about earlier. I remember in our conversation with Dr. Slater, he made an important point about this. Looking at post-war politics, no one admires politicians. Nobody imagines social change comes about through political parties. I mean, it's not part of the, the idea. The idea that you would end up being a political party is the biggest sellout you could possibly have. Plus, unless you have personal connections, unless you have a lot of money, I mean, it's much more controlled here. And the, the hurdles to get into politics is huge. And whether you're on the left or the right, you have a vested interest in keeping those hurdles very high. Economic and institutional hurdles aside, it basically sounds like you're a sellout if you're an activist that goes straight into politics. But looking to Japan's island neighbor in the south, this is exactly what a lot of young participants in Taiwan's sunflower movement did. In contrast to Japan, our trip to Taiwan showed a different side of youth politics in East Asia. What was so different about students in Taiwan who were able to form political parties and run in national elections? We'll discuss more about youth politics in our other cities in our next episode. Tune in next time to The Youth Element. This podcast was supported by the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada's Postgraduate Research Fellowship Program. Songs featured in this episode include Corporate Innovative by Scott Holmes, Acid Jazz by Kevin McLeod. Special thanks to Dr. David Slater at Sophia University, 
Yuji, Mizuki, Aoi, Yuzuki, and the rest of our friends and participants who shared their insight and took the time to be interviewed. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada.